0: So excited about our new series and what God's going to do in our lives here, in so many areas, I'm convinced, where we will experience some new layers and levels of healing in our lives. Jesus came so that you and I might be made whole, healed. and He does that in the deepest part of who we are, our spirit. He does that in our soul, the area of our mind our emotions, our will. And he can do that even in our body, amen? So in this series, we're gonna explore what all of that means and how to find in Christ healing for the areas that have been wounded within us, amen? So uh, you'll notice Caleb was not up here this morning. He woke up not feeling well, stomach-related, right? and uh, Ashton, their oldest as well. So they're at home today. But his brother Ryan was over here uh, playing guitar and helping lead. Uh, Alexa in her normal spot. And new to the stage this morning over here, you're probably wondering, now who is that? That is Elizabeth who is joining the worship team. So yeah, we're grateful for all of them. And uh, there's other other new faces coming. I'm excited for you to get to be uh, all together and led by them in worship. So, all right, so you can tell today it's a, it's a unique day, a special day here at Vertical. It's Communion Sunday. And we have options beyond just those little disposable plastic things we've been using, amen? Yeah, amen. It's been, it's been a couple of years since we've had open, open tray, open cup communion. Uh, we do have the disposable ones that are sealed. Uh, if... Uh, the bread and the cup open are not your thing. It's here for you as well. And I'll just go ahead and say up front, so I have to say this later. Uh, sometimes we get asked, all oh, that bread, is it gluten free, not gluten free? It's all gluten free, okay? So no worries about that, all that, right? So uh, the subject of communion, of course, is important for us as believers. Jesus gave two very important elements to the church that we are commanded to take part in other than just gathering, which is what he calls us to do is gather together. But we're also called to baptize those who are new into the faith, putting their faith in him. And we're also committed to take communion together. Uh, The Bible doesn't give a specific timeline on how often that is. Jesus just said, as often as you do. So we're doing it today. We'll be doing it also again on Good Friday, which is coming up. So When you come to a moment like this, it's meant to be a moment of uh, remembrance. It's meant to be a moment of worship. It's meant to be a moment of um, searching. We're gonna explain that today. It's meant to be a moment in which we remember the sufferings of Jesus, the holiness of God, our own sin, and his atonement for our sin. So I wanna read the passage in the New Testament that that gives us some of the most clear teaching. Uh, I'm gonna refer to this and then we're gonna be going to another passage today. But I I wanna start here because uh, the Apostle Paul gave some instructions to the New Testament church that applies to us today. The Word of God is alive and relevant for us and it speaks to us today. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 as I'm gonna start reading. For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now you'll notice this morning, what we have here is you come up here in a little while. Uh, It's not bread like you and I think of. This is not a loaf of Miss Baird's bread that's up here. Uh, This is not a big yeast, you know, yummy yeast roll like you and I might think. Because we are attempting to use bread as they would have used, as Jesus would have used. And it would have been unleavened bread, which means bread without yeast. Uh, Yeast in the Old Testament was a symbol of sin. And so, as they would approach the Passover, they would have a period when they would remove all the yeast from their house. It was symbolic of cleansing their house and their lives of sins. So when Jesus and his disciples sat down and had what we know of as the, the Last Supper, they used a bread like this, that to us is more like a cracker. Uh, it, it has a crunch to it, and it is thin. And you'll notice these, um, these pieces are pierced with little holes as part of the baking process, and it is striped uh, as part of the baking process as well, much like they would have used in Jesus' day. That reminds us that he was pierced for our transgressions and by his stripes, as we'll later talk about, we are healed, so it's all pictured here in the bread, broken for us, Jesus' body. Verse 25, it says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was instituting something brand new. No longer would they have to bring lambs or sacrifices to the altar to atone for their sin because Jesus had come to be the lamb which takes away the sin of the world. And he would say in this cup is the new covenant which is my blood. So we drink a red juice today that pictures for us the blood of Jesus. We do not believe that upon you taking up the cup or the bread that it actually turns into the body of Jesus or the blood of Jesus. It's not what happens here today. These are done in remembrance of him. So Jesus goes on and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. He is coming again, so we are doing what Jesus commanded the church to do but Paul then adds a layer of practical teaching for us it's important for us he says therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord now all of a sudden we all just set up inside right wait a minute, there's an unworthy way to come from your seat to hear and drink or eat? There is an unworthy way of doing that? Yes, there is. We're gonna discuss that today. More importantly, what is the worthy way? And I'll tell you up front, if you think somehow you have got to make yourself perfect before you leave that seat to come here to this, that is part of an unworthy way. You're not called to become perfect before you partake, you're called to have faith before you partake. We'll explain that today. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever, or for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Boy, there's a lot there. So as we come to begin this series, The Cross Heals, we begin at the cross, at the body of Jesus broken for us, at the blood of Jesus poured out for us, this new covenant, and we approach this with sincerity, worship, and a little bit of seriousness. In fact, a lot of seriousness. So to do this faithfully, we have to go back to some starting places, go back to some basics. We start with God is holy. He always has been. He's always existed. He didn't need anything added to himself to make him holy. He is holy. He is complete. He is righteous. He is beautiful. He is glorious. He always existed and always will exist. We don't add a thing to him by our worship. He is holy. He created man in his own image that we might share in the life that he has, that we might know that same glory, that we might also know what it means to be set apart and enjoy his favor and blessing in our life. And he gave Adam and Eve one command. Do not eat from the tree that is in the midst of the garden, for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know the story. Adam took and ate his wife with him. And the minute that they ate, death came upon all creation. Everything changed. The planet changed, the universe changed, and they changed. Instead of walking in fellowship with this God who created them, They now ran and hid from him. And their life began to decay. They were never intended to die. They were never intended to be separate from God, from one another. But the moment that they sinned, everything changed. Death became part of the experience they began to age, creation began to be corrupted, death would now come, and death happened and would happen physically, but it would also happen in their behavior, their emotions, their mind, and deep within their spirit. And ever since then, man has been born with a nature like theirs that is infected with the disease of sin. You were born with it. Now, you can't just blame your parents. You can't blame Adam and Eve because you didn't just come born with it in your DNA. You along the way chose to sin as well. You and I sinned. And the Bible's clear. For all have sinned nobody in this room that has not you don't have to worry that you're sitting to someone, sitting next to someone who's perfect and you're not and don't worry, you're not perfect either, right you have sinned and every one of us have to find how we're going to deal with this fact that you and I have sinned because it affects everything about us it's just part of who we now are. the sin experience. It affects how we think. It affects how we see life. It fills us with death. It consumes us with ourself. It makes us angry, it makes us bitter, it makes us critical. It's your defiance of God. It's your defiance of wanting to walk in his ways. It's your resistance to all things godly. It's your yielding to temptation, sin. It's what we're born with. But Jesus came so that there might be a way of escape, that there might be redemption. Because again, the Bible's clear, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Ezekiel reminds us that the soul who sins will die, and the New Testament would say the wages, the payment, the follow-up to sin is death. So what happens is that everybody looks for two different ways that you'll attempt to deal with your sin. This is everybody. This is everybody that at least stops to consider the fact that they've sinned, because a lot of people don't want to admit that they've sinned. A lot of people don't want to admit that there is sin. A lot of people want to pretend they haven't. But at the end of the day, when they put their head on the pillow at night, oh, there's a reminder. Something's not right. This is not the way it was supposed to be. So let me talk to you first about one of the ways that people attempt to deal with their sin. They think, if I can somehow hmm, punish myself, if I can somehow scold myself enough, if I can somehow beat myself up enough, if I can somehow inflict enough punishment upon myself, then I can feel better about my life. It's not a new concept, it's an old concept, and there have been a lot of people over the generations who've attempted to deal with this in many different ways. Some who have flogged themselves, some who have put themselves in extremely painful situation physically an attempt to beat themselves up physically enough to feel better about themselves. And you think, that is so bizarre. I'm not looking to hurt myself. Yeah, but a lot of people still do this. They just might not use boards and nails and whips and ropes and chains. They do it in other ways. They attempt to punish themselves by just hanging out and wallowing in guilt. If I can just replay my sins enough, if I can make myself feel bad enough, if I can replay my failures, if I can keep spinning them over my head, if I can keep telling myself just how terrible I am, if I can focus on my weaknesses enough, maybe that'll help me pay for, relieve myself, feel better about myself and my sin. Sounds kind of morbid, right? But it's the very thing that people do. In fact, when you get into this mode of punishing yourself, you get into this mode where you actually feel like you should never have peace, forgiveness, or joy. And boy, the enemy loves that moment because he's also standing by to point out your sin. He didn't want you to look at Jesus. He didn't want you to see that there's forgiveness. He wants you to keep replaying that tape. Just keep rewinding it and replay that failure. I don't care that it was 15 years ago. Just replay it one more time. One more time. Replay it again. Replay it again. Keep telling yourself how terrible you are. Keep punishing yourself. Keep beating yourself up. Deny yourself any good. In fact, what happens is when you get into this mode, you even get to the place where you think, you know what, I don't even deserve to pray. I don't deserve to read my Bible. I shouldn't even be singing worship songs. I shouldn't even go to church. And when you start going down that path, do you see who gets the victory? It's not you, it's the enemy. When he leads you to that place where you think, I shouldn't even really be reading my Bible. I shouldn't even be accepting this forgiveness that Jesus has. I shouldn't be coming to this place where I can believe that Jesus loves me. I shouldn't accept any of those blessings. I shouldn't accept any of those. I've got to keep telling myself how terrible I am. And so you pass off on all things that are related spiritual truth. You get uncomfortable around them because you'd rather beat yourself up than accept the fact that God loves you and can forgive you and show you mercy in your life. Amen? I'm just trying to get very real this morning because this is where a lot of people live. They think, if I can just make myself pay for my sin, then I'll feel better. I'll punish myself. I won't let myself Enjoy the good things, even of God. The second thing that happens is people begin to punish others. When you get to the place where you are loaded down with your own guilt and your own weaknesses and your own sin and how terrible you are and all your failures, then you get into this next mode because that's all you look at in yourself. You can't help but see that in other people and boy you get real quick to remind everybody else of all their failures you can't see the blessings in other people's lives all you can see is well, they messed up doing that. Did you see what they did? I'm going to remind them what they did. But hey, do you remember you did this to me the other day? You remember you did this a long time ago? Five years ago, you said this, you did this. Oh man, they're terrible. You know, they did this to me. And all of a sudden, you just become obsessed with everybody else's failures because now you've got, in, you've got to inflict punishment on yourself. Well, now you've got to start inflicting punishment on others. And you know it because all of a sudden when someone does something to you that you didn't think you deserved, man, you fly off the handle with anger and rage. Because if you've got to punish yourself, you've got to punish someone else as well. And I'm going to make them pay. You're not going to mistreat me. I'll make you pay. I think I have to pay, so I'm going to make you pay. So you start punishing others. And you keep others at a distance in your life. Because you can't have anybody else get really too close up in your life because they might see what's going on. And it's a lot easier to punch somebody when you've got them out at a little bit of distance, right? You can really do some damage because the better, it's so sad, but so true. The more you can punish other people and point out how bad they are, sadly some people feel better about themselves. So you punish others. You become insulting, a list keeper, not of all the good things that people have done but all the bad things. And you you begin to look for ways to punish them for it. I'll make them pay. You become angry, bitter, you're vindictive. You get revenge and you got a list and you got a long list and you got a long line of people and you begin to blame others. What that often leads to is if you're punishing yourself, then pretty soon you get to this place where you're so focused on yourself and your own weaknesses that you become consumed with your insecurities. You don't want anybody to see what's going on and you cover, you cover them all. You hide them from other people. You don't want them to see where you are. You become timid, you lack any kind of courage or confidence, and you think that actually it's more spiritual if you walk around and even conduct yourself kind of like this. I've seen people and talked to people, and I've been this guy who thought I was more spiritual the more weighed down, always thinking about how terrible I am and my sin and I can't do enough and I'm, you know, God's out to get me and boy, my life is just a wreck and oh, I'm just so, what you start thinking is this, I'm just so spiritual when I do this. Wrong, wrong. That's the enemy who's put you in that posture. You're never called to punish yourself for your sin. Jesus took your punishment for your sin. You become frustrated, withdrawn from other people. And anything related to church, whether it's worship, praying, Bible reading, Christian music, whatever it is, all of that becomes an obligation, an empty duty I have to do so that I can kind of make myself feel worse about who I am. And then finally... This leads to a place of ultimate defeat. Because nobody got any strength from looking at how sinful they are or by punishing themselves for their sin. There's no power here over sin, there's no power here over temptation. You always feel less. You always think less. You choose less. You make choices that are not helpful and godly or good for you, and you give in to every appetite you have. And what this produces right here is a disease in your soul. This produces disease in your mind. This produces disease of the emotions. And this produces behavioral disease as well. These are conditions. Psychologists have long lists and titles and abbreviations for them. But it all comes from an inaccurate view of Jesus and what he's done for you. I tend to believe that there's not a soul condition that can't be healed by what Jesus has done for you. And we're going to find the freedom in that. And I believe I'm going to say it again, we're going to see some healing happen here over the next two months that are going to astound us. Amen? So this is one of the ways that people attempt to deal with their sin is by punishing. This part's really bothering me right here. I'm just gonna beat myself up a little bit for that right now. If you know me. It's not the only way. Because you might think, eh, I don't do any of that. I'm pretty good. Cool. Let me tell you about another way that people attempt to deal with their sin. Some attempt to punish themselves, but some other people attempt to perfect themselves you know, I admit I have sinned, but you know what, I can do better. I'm strong, I'm powerful, I can do this, I can do better. And as a result, you set off on the course. I'm gonna go to church every day this, every Sunday this next year. I'm gonna read my Bible, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna become a better Christian. I'm gonna show God that I'm worthy of being loved. I'm going to prove I can do this. I'm going to show him I'm worthy of his blessings. I'm going to prove to God I can really do this. I'm going to get myself right, and when I get myself right, then I'll serve the Lord. Then I'll know he can love me. Then I'll know I finally arrived after I cleaned myself up and I perfect myself. It sounds kind of right, right? But it's so so misguided and so wrong according to scripture. Because if you live attempting to perfect yourself, you end up doing some pretty weird stuff. You end up becoming obsessive about some things. When you think you've got to do everything right, then all of a sudden you think everything has to be right and you get obsessive. It's almost like it's obsessive and compulsive. It's almost like it's obsessive and compulsive and it's a disorder almost. (laughs) There's a spiritual root to all those things, I'm telling you. You might not want to recognize it, admit it. Oh, we're going to get there. Obsessive. You get obsessive about things have to be a certain way. I've told this story before, it's been a while. When I was in Oak Cliff, I walked home from high school. It was a long way to walk home. It was like three miles for me to walk home to, to school. I was a freshman, I was little, I was terrified of dogs. And I thought, I wasn't a believer at the time, I knew a little about God, but I didn't know. And I thought, if I could pray all the way from Sunset High School to my home, which was near Westmoreland, Jefferson. And if I could not stop praying, if I could just say it continually, the whole time and never say it wrong. Like, I've gotta say say this little prayer I made up a certain way all the way there and not stop. Sounds weird, right? But I thought if I could do that enough, then a dog wouldn't bother me. And you know what, it worked on so many days which only confirmed again, it's the right thing. And I became obsessive, compulsive, like I had a disorder or something about it. And it happens for people. Things have to be set a certain way. Things have to be done a certain way. I've gotta do it my way. Oh no, you're gonna mess up my way. Stop, 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 you're gonna mess it up. If you do that, it's gonna mess up my life. Everything is gonna go terribly from this point forward. Really? You have that much control over eternity by your little bitty choice that you make in your life, someone else can throw off eternity because they didn't let you get up at 6.55 that morning? (sighs) Come on. I got to do it my way. It's got to be the same way. People like this become legalistic about their faith. You have to believe like I do, say what I do, do what I do, and I make the list, and I tell you what it is, and you follow it. And if you don't follow it, I'm gonna condemn you for it. And all of a sudden, faith becomes about my actions instead of about my capacity. Amen? I think I have to be perfect. I can't make any mistakes. It has to be my way. And it leads to another thing. If you become perfect-minded, or you try to perfect yourself, you also begin to develop another problem. You become narcissistic. All of a sudden life is all about you. You walk into a room, it's about you. People are talking, you know they must be talking about you. You don't know if they're talking about you, I hope they're talking about me, that's what you start thinking. I gotta get over there and make sure they're talking about me. I gotta get over there and impress them. I gotta get over there and tell them a story. I gotta make sure everyone's talking about me and how great I am. I gotta make sure I tell everybody how great I am, what I'm doing, see what I'm doing, post on social media so you can see how good I am. I can't ever admit anything. In fact, what I do instead is blame people for everything. I'm upset with what they've done to me because it's all about me, and I gotta keep my way, and I gotta do just everything my way, and I gotta have my way, and I gotta everybody have got to have everybody looking at me because I measure myself by how everybody sees me. I'm in this process of trying to perfect myself. And if you aren't praising me, then I must not be perfect. And narcissism takes over. You ever know anyone like that? Hmm. No, too close to home. Maybe you recognize some of it in yourself. Even Yeah, Mm. we're getting way too close to home this morning, aren't we? Come on. It's so, it's so, it's such a disease that you begin to even use guilt to get everybody else to do what you want them to do. You start manipulating other people. You start pointing out, well, you never did that for me. You never do those things for me in my life. How come you never do that for me? How come you don't say this about me? How come you say that about them? You should say those things about me. It, all, it just gets really dark and twisted. And that's what happens when you start trying to deal with your sin by trying to be perfect and perfecting yourself. This is the Pharisees of the New Testament. This is many people today. They also become very critical of others. Because if you're in this, um, parade of self and parade of trying to be perfect, then you spot out people along the way and you begin to critique how they're not perfect and what they have done to hurt you, maybe keep you from being perfect. Oh, they made you lose your temper. They made me into this sin it's their fault so you blame you're critical you you point out people's flaws you, you even tell people their weaknesses and it leads you to this place where you become very bitter i mean there's this seething anger underneath that you just almost can't deal with you you hold grudges and you you find it's better to even run away from people than to be around people because you can't even control how you are around people When you let these two ways become how you deal with your sin, you only increase this disease in the soul. And boy, what this brings is a host of all kind of mental, emotional, behavioral, psychological, spiritual disease. And it destroys relationships. It destroys your peace, It destroys everything about your life. And the Bible was already clear about it. The soul that sins will die. The wages of sin is death. And you trying to fix it all won't make it any better. But the Bible is a book of hope. Amen? And it doesn't leave us here can you imagine if you came to church today and I said, "All right, there you go. Let's pray. We'll see y'all next week." <laughs> it'd be terrible. We'd all walk out of here just. Oh, it'd be miserable. You'd come up here to take this, and guess what? If you take this like this, or like this you'd be taking it in an unworthy manner. If you think taking this is designed to make you feel worse about yourself, or if you think taking this is supposed to make you more perfect, that's an unworthy manner. Turn in Isaiah 53. This is where we are today. This is where we find hope. This is where we find life. Isaiah 53, verses four and five. We start here in verse four. Here's what the Bible says. Surely he has borne or carried our griefs and carried our sorrows. A little bit of background definition, the word griefs here. You and I use it to think about what happens after someone dies that we have we have grief, we have sorrow, we have sadness in the Hebrew. this word right here is actually a word that means physical, emotional, or mental or behavioral sickness sickness Jesus bore in his body, he carried watch this he carried. Punishment on the cross. And he was the one who was perfect. He went to the cross to deal with our sin and he bore all of that. The horror of the cross was not the nails, not the crown, not the spear in the side, but Jesus bearing the punishment for sin. Bearing in himself The realization that you and I would one day experience all of this and that he would have that experience in himself. He would carry that grief. He would carry that sorrow. He would carry all of the soul pain and he would carry it to the cross. It goes on the second part of verse four and it says, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, we looked at him, we saw what was going on in his life, and we thought, dude, what did you do to deserve that? That's what people thought when they saw Jesus. Wow, that dude messed up. God apparently is against him. It's funny what judgmental eyes will do. You look at other people and you'll judge them according to what you think and that's what they did, and that's what we do, and they missed the reality of what Jesus was actually accomplishing. It goes on in verse five. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He took in himself our judgment. He took this as this so that you would no longer have to bear this or strive to be this before you could be loved by him. That's what he bore on the cross. He took your sin. It's almost insulting when you think about it that we would think I somehow have to punish myself for my sin and say, hey, Jesus, mm, man, that whole death on the cross, awesome. Uh, cool, I just a lot. Mm. I'm gonna try to punish myself some more for my sin and when I, when I, when I get there, I'll, I'll come to you. What? He did that so you wouldn't have to. Here's the Son of God, who's the Holy Son of God, who lives sinless. He was perfect. And then we stand off at a distance and say, Wow, such a good man. If I could only first live up to that, be perfect, then maybe God would love me, then maybe God would accept me, then maybe God would forgive me. You're missing the point. You're only inflicting more disease in your diseased soul already by thinking you have to punish yourself enough or perfect yourself enough to come to Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He dealt with our sin on the cross. Since the eraser doesn't work so well. I can't drive home enough the importance of this becoming personal at this point. I'm not talking about concept. I'm not talking about philosophy, and I'm not I am talking about theology, but I'm gonna make it intensely personal. I'm not talking about just the idea that there is sin, I'm talking about your sin. Your sin. Stop thinking about the sin of the person next to you for just a moment. Think about you. All have sinned. Jesus took every one of your sins from the past to the present and into the future. On the cross that day, he bore them in himself. He took the punishment as the perfect, sinless lamb of God. So that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not have to keep punishing themselves, would not have to try to stop or try to keep perfecting themselves, but would have eternal life. Jesus came to remove the sin. He came to free it from us. He came to set the captives free. He came to remove all of the shame and all of the guilt and all of the fear and all the paranoia and all of the striving and all of the diseases that inflict the soul all of the mental and all of the emotional and all of the behavioral things that come as a result of you trying to either pay for your sin or punish yourself enough for your sin. And instead, Jesus becomes the one who pays the highest price. Amen? He becomes the one. He takes our sin upon himself. He takes the punishment. He is the perfect one. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. In other words, the punishment, the payment, the discipline, it was on him. And by his stripes, we are healed. For those who will come and say, I've done this, it's miserable. It's depression, it's darkness, it's isolation. It's miserable. And for those who would say, I've tried this, I tried being righteous enough first. It only made me angry, it only made me more bitter, it only made me more consumed with myself and it only led to death. For those who would say, it didn't work, but when I saw what Jesus did for me, when I saw the wonder that he took my punishment and he took my sin, then something different happened. By his stripes, his suffering, you and I can find healing, peace can come into the troubled areas of your soul. Amen? Amen? The Bible describes it this way in the New Testament that for by grace, are you saved through faith. That word saved, it actually means rescue or healing. So here it is. Jesus was given to us as grace. You didn't deserve him. You didn't earn him. It wasn't because you beat yourself up enough one day that God said, all right, I think you're finally low enough to the ground. You finally beat yourself up enough. No, grace is given to who? The humble. To those who would say, Jesus, my sins are many, I can't pay for them myself. I humble myself before you. You are the one who paid for sin. You died the agonizing death. And the Bible says the way that you receive that is by faith. Faith. Faith receives. Faith believes. Faith says... I don't deserve this, but I receive it as a gift from you, God. So now, now we know the difference between coming here this morning in an unworthy manner and a worthy manner, amen? Unworthy is thinking, I've got to beat myself up enough first before I can take this. Unworthy is I've got to somehow perfect myself first. Worthy says, Lord, you are holy. I am a sinner. I can't pay for my sin. I can't punish myself enough for my sin. But you did. And I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I love the way Jesus established this. It's a picture of him, his body, and his blood. But the way we take it is by eating and drinking it. It has to go, it has to go into us for it to change us. Are you with me? It has to become intensely personal. You can't drink it for someone else, you drink it for you. You can't eat for someone else, you eat for you. It's designed for your spirit, for your soul. It's designed for your sins, for forgiveness for you, for mercy for you, for freedom for you. It's designed for you to take in what Jesus has done. So here's what we're gonna do. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray Then I'm gonna sit down I want you to take some time and let this be a moment that you seek the Lord. I'm not asking you to punish yourself or perfect yourself. Paul said if we judge ourselves, not critical, not harsh, but if instead we say, Lord, I need you, the Savior, to forgive and cleanse me. And I receive what you have done into me, and I'll live for you. Amen? This is the worthy way. This is judging ourselves and allowing the Lord to speak to us. If you need to repent of sin this morning, repent, change, stop. Because there is grace, and there is forgiveness, and there is healing. And may it begin for us today. Amen. And may it heal all the dark places within us. I'm grateful for physical healing when it happens. I don't diminish that. But I will say this the healing that happens in a person's spirit and in their mind and in their emotions and in their behavior is a greater miracle than someone having their arm or leg or body healed. It's true. And may that be the story that we tell and we see happen here. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, today, we are humbled at what you have done. That while we were in our sin, while we were caught, while we were in despair, while we were thinking it was up to us to claw our way somehow back to you, you sent your son to free us, to forgive us, to take upon himself our sin, the payment for sin, so that by his very wounds we are healed, we are made whole. And so this morning, we receive that gift, that forgiveness, that mercy, that grace, and we respond by faith alone. We respond by receiving it. And we receive communion this morning as a picture of that. Not more punishing. Not more perfecting but in full faith for what you have done. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.